Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and thank you for joining The Ron Show on a post-election, albeit a 2023, post-election Wednesday. And Democrats got a little more pep in their step today. And I know I've been sort of hand-wringing myself after a New York Times-Siena polling came out. We have new AJC polling we'll dive into here in just a little bit. Joining me to discuss some of last night's results and what to make of them, if anything, as we head into the 2024 12-month window. Andrew Heaton with Sagamore Hill Consulting, also a senior advisor with the Jerrica Richardson uh, for Congress bid. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing all right, Ron. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm guessing uh, like a lot of folks who uh, operate on the left of uh, the spectrum, um, you slept a little better tonight, huh? Or last yeah. night? No, it, 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 was, it was a good night. Uh, the, the voters once again showed that, you know, issues matter and that they are willing to come out and vote and do what it takes when the issues that are important to them are on the ballot. So we saw that bear out uh, at the ballot box yesterday and uh, some big wins in the state of Virginia. Uh, obviously, uh, Andy Bashir retaining the governor's seat. In Kentucky. That, that one sort of perplexes me. I'm not going to lie just a little. But, but I mean, I, I, I kind of see like the, I think it's a, he's a good candidate. He's, that's where candidate quality sort of wins out over ideology in a state that is still a red state. Well, and, and I, you're exactly right with Kentucky. And Kentucky is a perfect example that candidate is just as important as the issues. And, and, and make no mistake, Andy Bashir represents what a, a lot of Kentuckians are looking for in a candidate and from a governor. You know, he cares about, you know, he has shown time and time again, he cares about their issues. He cares about those kitchen table issues. He focuses on those. He doesn't, you know, run... Uh, an ideologically based campaign. You know, he he's focused on trying to make everyday Kentuckians' lives better. But then we also can't, you know, set aside, you know, who he is as a candidate. His father was a former governor. His father had just recently been governor in 2015, mm. and then Andy was the uh, attorney general right after that, and then uh, Andy was elected in 2019. So there's also there's just a a deep attachment for Kentuckians to the Bashir family, and mm. that absolutely. When can't when when voters feel like they actually know a candidate and can trust a candidate, that that is going to be a huge factor every single time. Do you think the fact that his opponent was an African American played any role in the way that election shook out? Well, you know, I, I we haven't dug into the crosstabs enough to say. You know, I, I I don't know if we can ever necessarily rule that out especially, you know, in America, in, in, in Southern states, it's always a factor we have to think about. Mm. I think in reality though, I think it's an example of a candidate who chose to run to the hard right. He chose to run on extremist issues. He chose to make things like trans issues central to his campaign. Um, you know, he, he chose to talk uh, a lot about, you know, education in terms of book banning and fighting woke mob and woke ideology and, and voters, as much as that might appeal to the hard right and help you win a primary, the majority of voters, that's not what's going to motivate. They want to know, are you going to like make my everyday life better? That's mm. what's going to turn them out. And, and Cameron chose to focus on an ideological extremist MAGA based campaign. And it's not, it's no coincidence that he received uh, Donald Trump's endorsement and once again, a Donald Trump endorsement took a candidate absolutely nowhere. 
Is there anything that we can take from what Andy Bashir was able to do in Kentucky and apply it to Georgia when it comes time for, I don't know, the gubernatorial race in 2026? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2026. Well, you know, look, I think, again, he, he focused on tabletop issues, uh, on kitchen table issues. He focused on, you know, acknowledging the struggles that everyday Kentuckians are having mm-hmm. as, as we continue to see inflation, pricing, hurting family, squeezing family, housing issues. Like he, he didn't shy away from acknowledging the tough times that, you know, a lot of Kentucky families are facing. But he also, you know, didn't shy away from where his beliefs are. He didn't shy away from, you know, the the moral issues that he stands on. And so I think, if anything, focusing on the everyday issues that voters care about while being honest and transparent with them and making sure they understand who you are is as plain and as simple as it sounds. It, it's always going to be a likely winning strategy. Can I say something that might actually blow you away, might actually be a little controversial here? I actually think that that's why Brian Kemp tends to succeed in Georgia as well. I think he ties, he tries to take things and, and make them partisan issues. Obviously, you, you, you mentioned inflation. He wants to pivot and blame it all on Joe Biden, erroneously, of course. But, but I also, like, I mean, he just extended the gas tax again, and we can sit here and talk about the, the fiscal sense in doing so, but that is a kitchen table issue for a lot of Georgians. Yeah, and look, you know, Make no mistake, Brian Kemp's administration has absolutely supported policies and has he has signed into law policies that, you know, ultimately hurt Georgians, everyday Georgians. But, you know, rejecting Medicaid, uh, Medicare expansion, you know, signing in the the um, the abortion ban, you know, all these things he's done. But in terms of what he actually talks about and what he trumpets, he doesn't trumpet those. Mm -hmm. You're right. He trumpets. The gas, you know, uh, the gas tax holiday. He trumpets returning money from uh, surpluses to in the form of tax rebates. Like he focuses his actual megaphone on everyday issues that allow him to position himself as a moderate who only is focused on your family. And and that is absolutely one of the keys to why he has been so successful and why he had such a good reelection uh, campaign. Let's uh, look at Virginia. Do you think that Glenn Youngkin's victory was just a one-off? I mean, I, I think I think the GOP really wanted to make him a rising star, like he was going to be the next big thing for them. And I I kind of saw his his election uh, more as uh, again uh, something of a one-off uh, candidate quality. You know, I think mattered uh, to, mm-hmm. in, in determining that race. And and then we just saw the results uh, at the legislative level last night. Virginians are not saying that they're a right. Uh, you know, a red right state. Right. Well, I think you look at that first campaign and let's, let's go back to what we talked about, you know, illustrating you care about everyday issues. And what was, you know, one of the things he made his tentpole in that first campaign was some of the issues around schools and around education. And, and, you know, and we can't, we can never forget context in terms of individual elections either coming post COVID. A lot of parents had had frustrations with the state and with their schools and he made that a, a central topic. Mm. And so he was able to get that victory. But then you go into this election, and what in the days leading up, what was he trying to make a central tenant? If you give me a, a red Senate, and if you give me a trifecta, I'm going to push through a 12-week abortion ban. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to restrict a women's right to choose. And the voter said, not only are we going to not give you a red Senate, and we're going to keep our blue Senate, we're going to hand you a blue house as well. So now you've actually lost one of your levers of government. So the strategy that he tried to employ this time around 
completely backfired on him. And then you're right. It was the voters saying, no, that that is not what we sent you to to the Capitol for. It's not what we sent you to Richmond for. And and if that's how you want to be now, we're we're absolutely not in favor of that. We're not going to back you up. And so, yeah, so he goes from having a potential trifecta. He tries to lean into the right. He tries to lean into the, the extremist views on these issues that around the country we saw again last night. Voters care about a woman's right to choose. We saw it in Ohio. Enshrined now in the Ohio Constitution is protection for a woman's right, a woman's right to choose. And Glenn Youngkin learned that the hard way in Virginia last night. We're on with Andrew Heaton from uh, Sagamore Hill Consulting, also a senior advisor for the Jericho Richardson congressional campaign. It, it does seem as if the, the Republican dog caught the car when it came to abortion. Uh, and I remember in 2004, the Republican Party tried to make gay marriage, the hot button issue it was then, uh, a state ballot initiative on election day to save a president who wasn't polling all that well. Is there any opportunity for that to happen in 2024 to aid a Joe Biden who's struggling in the polls? I, th- I think absolutely. We've we've seen the power of women's health and 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 women's choice in health be a pivotal issue time and time again now since the Dobbs decision. It has just the you're right. The the analogy the dog caught the car is so apt here because ever since that Dobbs decision, which has been the uh, cause of all causes for the last 40 years for the Republican Party, now that they've gotten that decision, they have just caught loss after loss after loss in the wake of that decision around the country. And it's absolutely it would be foolish of the Democratic Party and for the, the Biden-Harris campaign to not use um, a women's uh, choice and, and, and a woman's right to choose and make her own decisions in her health care, it'd be foolish to not make that a central tenet because it has shown time and time again to be a powerful motivating factor to getting voters out, especially women, especially suburban women. We saw it in Ohio last night, the strength of the suburbs. It was part of Andy Bashir's key coalition was the suburbs of, uh, you know, northern Kentucky outside of Cincinnati uh, and, and other areas, you know. So, it is absolutely a motivating factor, and so it's actually going to have to be a crucial key component in the plank of, of this re-election campaign for Biden-Harris and for Democrats around the country. Yeah, I look at swing states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, where uh, Arizona, where you have uh, Democrats in control uh, at the highest levels of office, and, and it makes me wonder, all right, can we state initiative some of these bad boys in time for 2024 as well to see if that gives a little boost at the polls? Uh, I mean, even Donald Trump has now said— I mean, he and Mitch McConnell are probably the two most central figures in American politics who are responsible for the Dobbs decision. And even even he says, Donald Trump said that abortion is not a winning issue. It's not something that he wants to talk about anymore. Well, and, you know, and then and one of the. One of the things that's made Donald Trump such a frustrating opponent, especially for folks in the, in the GOP primary, but even in, in, in our side, on the Democratic side, he, he says what people have typically thought were the quiet parts he says them out loud and 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 he's he's absolutely right he's just acknowledging the reality that's in the room and instead of pretending otherwise he's just saying guys i i don't know if i should run on this this is not a winning issue and and i can't believe i'm going to say this but donald trump's right (laughs) it's not a winning issue for the republicans and if they try to make it a central tenet once again of their campaign strategy it's going to backfire like it has backfired time and time again but obviously for selfish reasons 
I pray they make it a central tenant. Let them let them make that a central plank of their campaign, and I will look forward to a great blue night in 2024. But it, I also happen to think it might be a little bit dangerous for Democrats, especially the Biden-Harris campaign, to use it as an issue going into 2024 when Dobbs happened on their watch. And there are large, I don't want to say larger, because for a woman, there may not be larger issues, but there are roaring fires elsewhere to deal with when it comes to inflation uh the the, the ukraine russia conflict what's happening in israel and hamas uh, I, I don't want to minimize a woman's right to choose but if that's where the democrats go all in it seems like it would feel like they're ignoring some pretty big issues in doing so well and let me let me be key it's not going to be the only issue by any stretch sure. and they're absolutely they're absolutely going to be other factors i think i think it is absolutely something they have to talk about and they will talk about it needs to be a key plank but yeah by no means is it going to be the other the only plank Mm -hmm. and and i think they're absolutely you know again we we talk about things like the ukraine war we talk about things like you know what's going on in israel with the israeli hamas war i mean we that is what we're talking about right now in november 2023 um we have no idea you know what the state of the, any of those conflicts is going to be next year yeah. and so to try to get too bogged down and worrying about how we position that you know a year from now you know we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice because sure. there are certain issues that we know are still going to be relevant and and a woman's right to choose is absolutely one of those now you know what i will say as far as you know will voters pin that on on biden and the Dobbs decision on biden i think one of the things that that we have seen clearly is is you know, while we might not always give voters the, the most credit, one of the things that they, they have shown time and time again, they understand that this is not, you know, the Dobbs decision was not a Biden-Harris result. They understand firmly that it is a Supreme Court decision and that is a Supreme Court decision that is currently a, a majority held by right-wing jurists on the Supreme Court. And so I think most folks understand that the Biden-Harris team, that that's not a that's not a red mark. They, they, there are plenty of other things that they are, are finding fault with with the Biden-Harris administration and frustrations they have, but that is not one of them that we've seen so far. We're having a discussion with Andrew Heaton from Sagamore Hill Consultant, also a senior advisor with the Jerrica Richardson Congressional Campaign. Let's talk more 2023 election results and what it means for 2024 when we come back on The Ron Show. Here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. We're on with Andrew Heaton, principal and founder at Sagamore Hill Consulting, also a senior advisor with the Jerrica Richardson Congressional Campaign, talking about last night's election results and how they portend for 2024. As we head into the, again, the 12-month window, we're like 11 months and 30 days now, I think, uh, until Election Day 2024. We've seen the polling. You've seen the polling. Uh, it, it, it doesn't look good, particularly in swing states, and those are the ones that matter the most when it comes to determining who's going to win the presidency in 2024. It's baffling that a man with 91 indictments who just keeps making a mockery of himself, uh, you know, in, in courtrooms, uh, let alone on uh, on daises and, and at uh, rallies, it's it's baffling that a man that presided over COVID and that terrible response is pulling neck and neck and even beating the current president of the United States in several swing states. I hear I hear you loud and clear when you talk about the fact that we're we're 12 months out. What do you attribute this to? Well, I think you know we. We can never forget at the end of the day the polarized nature of most of the electorate. Right. And most of the electorate have their team. 
and 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 they have internalized and they view themselves. Yeah, me too. But a, Desmond Ritter's not a good quarterback. I'm not going to be you know buying tickets to the Falcons games. You know, right? But are you going to become a Bucks fan? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm just going to watch Georgia on Saturdays and be happy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and 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 that's and, and that's some of uh, you know that, that what I'm trying to say there is like yeah you you're not a, a Ritter fan and you don't love that he's your quarterback. But at the end of the day, that's still your team, and so yeah. you'll find other members of the team that you're going to rally behind. You're going to all of a sudden become a big Pitts. You're going to have your Pitts jersey. I think what will happen is, one, I, I think we, we don't know what's going to evolve over the next 12 months. I think, two, I think the, the campaign is obviously going to use all of the feedback. They're going to use these polls they're getting now, these snapshots in time, and, and that will help them evolve and change. You know, because there is there is so much good for them to talk about. It's just a matter of, of fine tuning the message so that voters hear it, they see it. We also know, like we've just been talking about with a woman's right to choose, there are going to be these other issues and there are going to be other candidates on the ballot. And when voters show up to to cast votes to support those candidates and support those ideas and those things are important to them, the majority of them are still going to look at the top of that ticket and say, okay, I. I'm going to go ahead and vote. I, I've got frustrations. I'm angry. And that's not all, but I think it's going to be enough. And I think to your point about, you know, Donald Trump, I mean, it's not shocking to me as it is to some people. And it's because we see Donald Trump for who he is and we can't understand why anybody support him. I look at it and I'm like, okay, you know, I just look at the So put aside the New York Times Siena poll. Let's look at the, the AJC uh, UGA poll that just mm-hmm. came out. It shows biden trump in a dead heat and the headlines will say biden struggling in georgia biden mm-hmm. warning signs in georgia well it puts them within the margin of error within a percentage point or two of each other well i i look at the 2020 result and i look at a president biden who won georgia by not even fifteen thousand votes mm-hmm. okay yeah that that tracks that is that makes sense this is a state that just overwhelmingly reelected its republican go- uh, governor by over five percent so mm-hmm. i mean yeah, uh, what, what else would I expect it to be? And and so it is not that we should the, the campaign and the party should not take these things seriously. They mm-hmm. absolutely should, and they should use all of this as feedback. And that's what they are. They're they're listening to it. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. But they're not going to go into freakout mode, and they're not going to go into these spirals of oh, we've got to drastically change. We got to do that. Uh-huh. Like no, oh, yeah. it, it it it'll it'll get there. Okay. But I will also point this out, and this is this is just within the the Democratic Party tent. You're starting to see some break off. You're seeing uh, some some lag in African American voting. Uh, we have angry mm-hmm. we have angry Arab Americans who think that mm-hmm. President Joe Biden is a genocide president. You have uh, you know those who are, are are Jewish Americans who may be disappointed that he's even showing some conciliation or some empathy towards. The folks in Gaza, it's like he's in a no-win situation in a lot of these issues. He's got a tap dance. He's an 80-year-old man that's got a tap dance. Yeah, and, and I, I will I will say that is the one of the few issues that I do. I, I'm I'm I struggle with with where the administration goes from here and where specifically the campaign goes from here. Um I will, yeah, I'll I'll fully acknowledge that's that's gonna be tough and and especially you're seeing some of those results especially amongst uh not just uh not just black voters not just uh voters of of arab and middle eastern backgrounds you're also seeing that and just in pure young voters yeah you're seeing the discontent and the anger around this issue specifically i i I guess for me the only thing i'm i'm trying to pull back is like again this is a this is an issue we don't know where this is going to go over the coming weeks and months 
We don't know what might change. We don't know what the 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 Biden administration might try to influence Israel on changing tact if this starts to to go, you know, continuously down a, a path that is so lopsided and that people just morally can't stand. Rightfully, the Biden administration has given Israel the space to do what it feels like it needs to do to, to combat Hamas. And, and, because and, yeah, the, it's, the, and it's not the, like we can march in there with troops and stop them anyway. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It is a it is a, a a country that you know has a fully elected democratic government and has every right to make the, the, the changes it want to make. And I think at times people are giving uh, the Biden administration and the U.S. a little too much uh, in the way of, well, the U.S. can just tell Israel to stop. Well, no, no they're, they are they are a sovereign <laughs> yeah. nation. They, they're going to do what they're going to do. But, you know, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that that's not a real issue that needs to be cause for concern. It needs to be something that, depending on how this plays out over the next weeks and months, you know, is going to be something that the administration and the campaign are going to have to pay real attention to. Um, and so I, I, I do acknowledge that's one of the, the few things that I look at and I'm, I'm struggling with what, what's going to happen, and it's going to be hard to say. All right, we're up on a hard break. Back with Andrew Heaton, political consultant, and more of this conversation when the Ron Show returns after this on the America One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Follow the Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Andrew Heaton, Sagamore Hill Consulting, also Senior Advisor for the Jericho Richardson's Congressional Campaign. Uh, wanted to ask you, let's go back to the African-American vote. We're, we're seeing some degradation. I have talked with folks, uh, vote, both in social media, I had Dante King, uh, author Dante King on yesterday, who literally just said, you know, we're tired, we're, we're exhausted from trying to advance our causes and seeing no movement of the needle. We saw this happen in 2016 we saw where, again, the New York Times went into cities like Milwaukee and sat at barbershops and listened to voters who were just like, my life didn't get any better under Obama. Uh, and, and we're seeing some similar sentiment now. My life's not getting any better now. And we're still not seeing action on uh, civil rights. We're not seeing action on voter rights. We're not seeing action on police reform. We're seeing half measures, no measures. Uh, where's the uh, reparations commission? I... You, you could sit on the sidelines and sort of be dismissive until you stop to listen to them and let it let it all add up and let it all wash over. And you go, man, I get it. I kind of get it. No, I and I think I think a lot of those voters have extremely valid issues they're raising and extremely understandable frustrations when, especially when we look at the outcomes of 2020 and we look at the the outcomes of of elections before and after that and just how pivotal. The, the black vote has been for the Democratic Alliance and for, for the, the Democratic tent and see, to then feel like they, they are constantly not necessarily yes. getting the just rewards yes. of their effort yes. is extremely frustrating, I think. And that's gonna and, and that's where messaging is both gonna be key, but it's gonna be extremely hard because the reality, you know, we can all acknowledge the reality is like, well, he he's tried on several of these things and, and because he doesn't have the votes in the Senate right. or he doesn't have the votes here. You can only do so much. I mean, student loans are a perfect example. Mm. The administration literally tried to do a massive forgival, uh, for, uh, forgiveness of student loans. Mm. They, they, they had a plan. They had it put there, and the Supreme Court said no. And, and the pushback I see is like, well, they could have done something else. And I, I struggle with that because I'm like, but, but what else? What else could they have done? that necessarily wouldn't have just gotten them in the exact same boat. But at the same time, I, I understand that you get tired after so many times fighting for something and hearing, well, but the, 
the the process isn't going to let it play out that way. That yeah, that's yeah. hard. And so, uh, you know, the the, the campaign's going to have to do some real work to to illustrate, you know, where it has struggled and where it has found resistance, and to make the argument that more because the answer is more voting. We've got to win more races yeah. so that there are, there are more keys in the hands of the administration in the House, in the Senate, on the Supreme Court. Yep. Uh, but that's a hard argument to make. And so then it comes back to, okay, I, I, I understand all that, but let's talk about some of these issues and where we have gotten victories. And they're going to have to just beat on the drum. You can't, you know, I understand the disappointments are hard and we acknowledge the disappointments, but we can't lose sight of the victories mm. and position the victories in contrast of if it had been the other side, if, if this had been a Republican administration, and see, this, you know, that's, you know, and that's, that's going to be tough, but it's yeah. they're going to have to do it. And that's the hard part for me because when I when I clap back at anybody who you know who will say, "Well, you know, uh, we sat out in 2016." Yes, you did. About 77,000 votes shy in cities like Milwaukee and Philadelphia and some other you know swing uh, swing city areas that we counted on that we didn't get those votes for, and because we didn't get Hillary Clinton, we got Donald Trump. And and the response to a man is, "Well, my life wasn't." all that much worse under Donald Trump than it would have been under Barack Obama or Joe Biden anyway. And that just, that just, it's so gut-wrenching to hear that. It just saddens me. Well, and that's, boy, Ron, you're, you're hitting at one of my, one of the things I struggle with to try, because I try to give most voters and folks who are not like me, I, you know, I spend every day just drowning in political analysis, mm-hmm. reading the news. And that's not every day. Most folks are looking at their life on a day-to-day, mm-hmm. month-to-month, like, and that's where they're concerned. And so when they go in the poll, like, well, who's doing something about right now? But man, 2016 is such a perfect example. You know, I didn't like Hillary and I didn't trust Hillary and I, you know, all this. So, you know what? And, and she didn't come out hard enough in this swing state. Um, so I'm going to send a message. Okay. You send a message. But in the meantime, Donald Trump got to appoint three Supreme court justices. Yep. And so now the things that you're having to fight for across the country and put in all this effort on you know, specifically women's right to choose doesn't happen if he doesn't put three, three Supreme Court justices on the bench. Okay. Student loan forgiveness. If Joe Biden had a liberal uh, bend on the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. you've got student loan forgiveness. And so having to try to then backtrack that to voters and be like, I, I understand your frustrations in the moment, but we've got to all. This is one of the things that the Republican Party is so good at, or at least historically have been. I think they've lost the thread a little bit over the last couple of years. but. 10, 15 years ago, they played the long game. They put so much money into those races heading into the 2020 census, and then they put so much money into state legislators and, and to local Congress people and to into local elections that then they were able to build their power up. And so that then when the time was right and they were able to finally get a Republican into the White House, they had all the apparatus just right to be able to get the, the court they needed, and they knew that was the end goal. And so they played this super long game, and now we're paying we're paying the price for it. And so all these frustrations are because we we lost the thread, and we got we let our emotions get tied up in the moment. But that is that's also that is a that's a tough argument to make to voters who are like, okay, I hear all that, but I'm telling you right now, I'm having a hard time buying milk. I'm having a hard time putting gas in my car. And so it it is a delicate balancing act. I trust the Biden Harris campaign. I, I trust the folks on there are fully aware of all this. Um, and I think you're going to start to see the messaging of this is this is a vote for the moment. 
but this is also a vote for the long term and we have to we have to be conscious of both if we really want the you know that's the whole point of progress progress is not an instantaneous thing progress is a journey and if we truly want to progress we have to make the votes and make the investments to get there yeah, you're right. It, it's definitely a long game. I tell that to people all the time. It's, it's not just about 2022 or 2024. It's about 28 and 30 and 32. And I know it really sucks to have to tell somebody, I need you to be locked in for the next nine years. But it, it's going to take that many cycles to affect any sort of change. Just to even get back to where we were in 2016, I feel like it's going to take us to 2028. And, and, and folks don't want to hear that. It's, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. Like when I, uh, when I started real estate, I was like, man, I it could take two years to get this business off the ground, but I need to get paid now, you know? So uh, yep. I, I get the mentality that, uh, you again, when I was talking with Dante King yesterday, he just said, man, we're just tired. And I get it. I totally get it. All right. Uh, so on a scale of one to 10, you feel really certain Joe Biden is going to carry through on this and he's going to run this campaign and be on the ticket a year from now. There's no equivocation, no no chance he backs out or decides, uh, maybe this is enough for me. Maybe I'm just the guy that needs to fall on the grenade and, and take all the lobs so somebody else can get in. No, no. He's he he rightfully has an argument to make. Mm. He rightfully has an argument to make that, you know, despite the frustrations with, with specific policies here and there, overall the the, the Biden Harris administration delivered on several of their key promises major like historic investment in infrastructure mm-hmm. historic investment in the green economy mm-hmm. historic you know bipartisan legislation that is you know even to this day still distributing resources into communities that have long been underserved helping them with key basic everyday life infrastructure projects helping the country pull back and recover historic run of low unemployment mm-hmm. you know you know th- there are just too many victories for for the biden administration to look at that and say well maybe i'm not the nominee like well, because you know what what else you know what is the real chief complaint the chief complaint honestly it, it comes whether anybody will say it out loud or not the chief complaint is just ageism like they just people want a younger president Okay, well, you know what? I'm willing to put aside wanting a younger president Mm. for wanting a president who does his best to deliver on the promises. And that's what the Biden-Harris administration has done. And so I think once people get past that and people accept – and we have this play out in every primary you know, to to varying degrees because we're really good at that. We're really good at dreaming what the the, the best case – the best case alternative. Well, this is good, but here's my best case alternative. And, and, and that plays out. But at the end of the day, the primary is going to finish. Joe Biden is going to be our nominee for president again. And, and then he's going to be able to fully run. And once people have accepted that, I, I think the evidence is going to weigh. And once again, the majority of voters are going to see, especially, again, if the alternative is Donald Trump, which every single poll and every single outcome seems to be saying that's what it's going to be. They're going to look at the alternatives. And I think, again, they're, they're going to come home to the idea that Joe Biden is their best chance. You always have me feeling better about things after a good conversation, Andrew. I can't, uh, I can't appreciate that enough or tell you how much I appreciate that enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to have a, a little Benjamin Button action going on, and we had a, a 60-year-old Joe Biden running because I think this would be – and I also think, like, we saw so much of him on social media during the Obama presidency. Like, we literally saw this guy age before our eyes, and I think that that mm-hmm. probably has some kind of effect on, on, on the way folks mm-hmm. feel about him. It does. It does. But you know what? what's – What's going to be interesting to me 
And it's not getting as much attention right now because for the most part, we've all kind of gotten tired of the Donald Trump Act. Mm. So the news, the news agencies don't cover his rallies as much. They don't cover his speeches as much. But for those of us that have been paying attention, I think once more people get to kind of see the current state of Donald Trump mm. and we and we talk about aging and we talk about how maybe things are starting to slip like Donald Trump of 2024 is not going to be Donald Trump of 2016. Yeah, that's and, true and, too. and if, and if, and if people are wanting to see like, what does it look like? Maybe when you start to lose a step, <laughs> I think they're going to start to see that more once Donald Trump gets a little bit more exposure once he's the nominee. That's a fair shake. Andrew Heaton, Sagamore Hill consultant, Jerrica Richardson for Congress senior advisor. Thanks for joining me and uh, getting me back on track, man. I'm feeling a little bit more spirited now. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Ron. All right. You have a good one. Well, I don't know if y'all needed that, but I absolutely did. <laughs> Poll numbers, man, they get me. They get me every time. But I also glean, I think, uh, a good sense of where the electorate is. He's absolutely right. Once we get to 2024, there are going to be uh, issues on the ballot. There are going to be other candidates on the ballot that are going to draw voters out. And you may be voting for your congressperson, a jerk, a Richardson, for example, running for Congress uh, up there in Marietta, in whichever district <laughs> she winds up being drawn into. What a refreshing thing for her. Instead of being drawn out of a district like she was on the Cobb County Commission, she's waiting to find out which district she's going to be drawn into. And she's ready to run the, in the one that she's in against Rich McCormick. So that'll be interesting to watch. Is that all that played? Anyway, there will be candidates on the ballot in 2024. You may be excited about voting for Jericho Richardson and less so about Joe Biden. But hey, while you're there, you're obviously not going to vote for the crazy guy who's, my God, the why are we still doing courtroom sketch artists? Where The cartoons that I saw uh, on the news last night of the way he looked and the way everyone else... Like, I know what Donald Trump looks like. I don't need a sketch of him acting all crazy in the witness stand. Anyway, my point was I, I needed to hear that conversation. I needed to be calmed down just a little bit. I'm still very much worried uh, about a 2024 presidential election cycle where Donald Trump is announced the winner. That It's just, we lived through this already, y'all. And listen, the last three years, I know they've been tough, but... As, as Andrew points out, there have been gains made. Are they enough for all of us? No, obviously not. I, I came from that, that camp uh, when, uh, when Bernie Sanders was running in 2016 that a lot of folks were just, you know, meh. Didn't feel like the last administration really paid much attention to the Occupy Wall Street movement, and I still don't think we pay enough attention to the message in that. But at the same time, I can't throw out good for perfect. And maybe the White House has just been in such a mindset of, listen, we're governing right now. We're not campaigning. We'll get to campaigning when it's time to get to campaigning. And in the meanwhile, the oppo team, the folks who are on talk radio and uh, cable news are just hammering away at, you know, the misinformation machine that they are. And it's, it's been affecting the White House. The only thing that uh, a president has who's not in re-election mode to sort of counter the spin are the the spokespeople, the ones, that, the, the Karen Jean-Pierre's that go out there at the press briefings and, you know, give the reporters the information. But Fox News and Newsmax, they're not going to hear any of that. That's 
A lot of folks are also like, oh, well, you know, the polling's not accurate. It wasn't accurate in 2016. It actually kind of was. They just didn't, you know, factor in the electoral college. And it was really not all that bad in 2020. I know Donald was stumped and mystified, but we, we talked about this uh, going into the election cycle last year, how the polling was sort of kind of telling you things, but you had to really dig in and pay attention. Like when I point out the fact that, well, you know, Donald's not polling above 49% in a lot of these swing states, that means if he can't clear 49% and there's only one other candidate, even if there's a third party candidate, I think the RFK thing actually probably hurts the right more than it hurts the left at this point. But in any event, if Donald can't clear that threshold, then that to me isn't good for him. Because as our friend of the show, Andrew, pointed out, folks are going to show up voting for initiatives and causes and other candidates down the ticket who will also go, obviously not going to go for the other guy. They're going to go for their their team player, and their quarterback that they're not happy with, and just do so quietly. In the meanwhile, I'm still going to say it's about messaging and the fact that Joe's years old. I just know a lot of people have a problem with that. All right. We're going to put a bow tie on this. One more segment of The Ron Show for Wednesday. When we return on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. All right, one last segment of The Ron Show to give you for Wednesday. As Andrew Heaton alluded to earlier in our conversation, new AJC polling in coordination with the University of Georgia shows that there is a deadlock between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. Uh, Trump showing a very slight 45 to 44% edge uh, and within the poll's margin of error of 3.1 percentage point. There was also 6% uh, undecided, 3% saying that they would prefer another candidate, and 2% who just say they wouldn't vote. Let's see some more nuggets here. Ooh, nearly 40% of Republicans polled say they would not vote for a political candidate convicted by a jury of a felony crime, which kind of puts the 91 felony indictments against Donald Trump into pretty clear focus. That's pretty important to him. When it comes to favorable, unfavorable, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I did this, this is what gets me. I, I, be as partisan as you want to be. But when it comes to favorability and unfavorability, the fact that Joe Biden shows 40% favorable, 55 unfavorable versus Donald Trump's 39 to 57. I mean, these aren't even, these guys aren't even in the same league. This is that's Looney Tunes, y'all. I don't tend to pay too much attention to the whole right track wrong track thing because I think it's pretty easy to say that oh, if you've got a majority who say you're on the wrong track. And by the way, Georgia's polling here shows 70% of Georgia voters say we're on the wrong track. That's 43% of Democrats, 97% of Republicans. You can expect that to be high amongst Republicans, but amongst Democrats, you can also think it's high and not attribute it necessarily to political leadership. Joe Biden didn't invade Ukraine, and Joe Biden didn't launch an attack on Israel, sparking that war. I could go further and elaborate some hard facts that right-wingers and pundits don't want to confess I'm right about. He didn't cause gas prices to spike, and he didn't cause inflation to happen the way it did. Sometimes the whole right track, wrong track thing is just about the mood of the country based on things that aren't even within grasp of a political party or a political candidate. And even 
then you can look at the 43% who show unfavorable numbers amongst Democrats for Joe Biden. And you could point to things that progressives aren't thrilled about. Here in Georgia, we're dealing with the whole cop city kerfuffle uh, within Metro Atlanta, and a lot of grassroots organizers are not happy with any Democrat. Joe Biden hasn't said a word about cop city, nor should he really. But the fact that he hasn't said a word about it might have some people chafed. Just an example. Democrats who may say we're on the wrong track could also be upset about the Dobbs decision. Again, that's not something that falls on Joe Biden's faults. They can be concerned about climate change. Those are the two leading indicators of concerns amongst Democrats. Jobs in the economy, the top concern for the majority of Georgia voters, according to this poll. Drilling down to those who were polled and their views on the economy, roughly half say that they're worse off than a year ago, and a third say their financial status is about the same. Only 14% say they're in better economic situation. And that can be one of those situations, too, where it's hard to quantify how much worse it could have been. Hey, you don't know how good you got it. It's hard to quantify that. The AJC UGA polled even, dove into the Israeli-Palestinian fight. Pretty stark contrast in the way partisans see that. About two-thirds of Georgia voters believe that supporting Israel is of the nation's interest. About a quarter disagree with that. And amongst Democrats, nearly 40% say supporting Israel shouldn't be a staple of U.S. foreign policy. Only 10% of Republicans and about a third of independents hold that view. And as you get younger and more diverse and poorer voters, about half of voters under the age of 30 and a slight majority of those who make less than 25 grand say supporting Israel isn't really in our nation's best interest. 41% of black voters say that they believe backing Israel isn't in the U.S.'s interests. And you, you have to bring up the evangelical part too, right? Angela Stepp, 65, Thomaston resident. She said, of course we have to support Israel. That's the Holy Land. It goes without saying. Nothing there about the right of the Jewish state, nothing there about protecting oneself, democracy. Oh, by the way, speaking of democracy, this headline got my attention. Israeli Supreme Court refuses to allow anti-war protests against the Gaza war. Mm -hmm. Let me read this from MiddleEastMonitor.com. The Israeli Supreme Court rejected petitions submitted to it against the police's decision to prevent demonstrations in the Arab community in protest against the war in the Gaza Strip. The decision stated, despite the high status accorded to the right to demonstrate and assemble, there is a complex reality in which we find ourselves, which affects the way balances are drawn in this regard. Meanwhile, here in Atlanta today... That would be members of the Atlanta chapter of Jewish Voice for Peace. They uh, were demonstrating today outside of Senator John Ossoff's office, demanding a ceasefire. Uh, according to Marissa Pyle, she tweeted earlier some photos and video. Uh, the march on the Senator's office security informed us we would be subject to arrest if we remained on the property. Heavy police presence with vans, APD and GSP, Georgia State Patrol. The building locked the doors and staff did not let us up. Uh, JVP Atlanta tweeting, Jews and allies are at Georgia Senator John Ossoff's office demanding he call for a ceasefire now, but Ossoff's staff refuses to meet with us 
locked the doors to the building, and security threatened arrest if we stayed on the sidewalk. We sang, spoke, and lifted up the memories of our ancestors as we loudly proclaimed, never again for anyone. John Ossoff, as the first Jewish senator from Georgia, we call on you to listen to your Jewish constituents. We refuse to allow genocide to be carried out in our name. Just another day on the beat here covering Atlanta, Georgia, and American domestic politics. I want to thank Andrew Heaton, principal and founder of Sagamore Hill Consulting, also a senior advisor for the Jerrica Richardson Congressional Campaign for joining me. Healthy conversation today, giving us some proper perspective. And we'll try and do it all again. Well, not him, but I will. The Ron Show will be back. Weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One radio app. And then afterwards, wherever you podcast, you can catch that. Just subscribe to The Ron Show on your preferred platform. Show notes at ronshowetl.com. I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great one.